Just a little bit of information about our speaker tonight, alhamdulillah. So Mullah Yusuf Ghos is a local Naperville native and uh, he did Hifz and Ma'ad Ta'aleem al-Islam. Alhamdulillah, after, after that he continued with his school, finished at CPSA and he was admitted in the direct medical program, GPBA, at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And after completing his bachelor's degree, instead of uh, pursuing medicine, which is a dream for many people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala selected him to study the sacred sciences. He, while doing his bachelor's degree, was studying here at Dar es Salaam in our beginning years. And then when we were not in this masjid yet, we were still in a warehouse. So he's amongst the initial students of Dar es Salaam. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him Far ahead, alhamdulillah, he went abroad and studied the Darul Ulum Zakaria in Johannesburg. And after graduating at the top of his class, alhamdulillah, then he continued with uh, postgraduate studies in Ulum al-Hadith by Mufti Bana, who is um, uh, one of the great students of Sheikh Muhammad Awama, Hafizahullah, perhaps the great, greatest living authority in Hadith, a Syrian scholar from Halab, from Aleppo, who was residing in Medina for many years, and then he had to leave Medina in the current uh, climate of con conditions over there. And he uh, is now in Istanbul, Turkey. So Mona Yusufos had the opportunity to do the khidmah of the sheikh and set up his library when he moved from Medina to Istanbul. He worked on that project in Istanbul, uh, along with his teacher, Mufti Bana. Then, alhamdulillah, he came back and uh, he teaches here at Dar es Salaam. Alhamdulillah, not only from the beginning years, but also a postgraduate program in, in hadith, takhasus fil hadith, meaning those students who finish the seven-year alim program, then they do postgraduate studies in ulum al-hadith. So he is in charge of that program. And he's the dean of the academic affairs here. So alhamdulillah, we're very blessed that uh, inshallah we'll be benefiting from his uh, words on the Quran uh, and the explanation of it as he also teaches tafsir here, alhamdulillah. So please keep uh, him in your du'as and make du'a for his family and his, and his mother in particular is very sick. Make du'a for her, inshallah. May Allah Ta'ala grant his father jannah and maghfirah and fill his grave with nur and grant shifa to his mother. so these verses that we're going to be discussing today kind of are uh, a middle point between two uh, more commonly recognized stories. 
So right before this, Allah Ta'ala talks about the story of Adam السلام, and Iblis. And I'm sure this is a story that many of us are familiar with. Then after that, Allah Ta'ala talks about the story of Musa السلام, and Al-Khadir. When Musa السلام, went to go meet somebody who Allah Ta'ala told him was actually more knowledgeable than him. So Musa السلام, went to meet that person and then I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story. Um, so the ayat that we're going to discuss today are kind of maybe lesser known. And they're sort of just sort of read over a little bit because um, people are always want to get to the story afterwards, which is the story of Musa السلام, and Al-Khadir. So then we'll just take a few moments to reflect on these ayat. Nothing too deep. And then if we have time at the end, then we'll see if we can get into the story of Musa السلام, and Al-Khadir. But at least we'll start with the ayat, the verses that serve as a tamheed for that. The ayat that serve as kind of an introduction for that, or sort of a middle way between the two more commonly known stories. So what we'll do is first, just so everybody has an idea of what we're talking about, what we'll first do is we'll read through the verses, just the verses in translation, not really discuss anything extra. Not really discuss anything extra. Just so that we know what we're going to talk about. Then after that, we'll take a step back and try to appreciate the ayat in a little bit more depth. And then we'll talk about some broader themes that these ayat talk about. We'll talk about those broader themes. And then in the light of those themes, we'll go into these verses, inshallah. Okay, so first, all we'll do is we'll just read through them just to understand what's being spoken about. So the first thing, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا مَنَعَ النَّاسَ إِنْ يُؤْمِنُوا إِذْ جَاءَهُمُ الْهُدَى وَيَسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّهُمْ إِلَّا أَنْ تَأْتِيَهُمْ سُنَّةُ الْأَوَّلِينَ أَوْ يَأْتِيَهُمُ الْعَذَابُ قُبُلًا So the way it's translated over here is that there is nothing that will prevent people from believing now, believing the heavenly guidance of the Qur'an has come to them, nor is there anything to prevent them from seeking forgiveness from their Lord, except the obstinate ways of unbelief of the earlier generations re-emerge and overcome them, or the punishment of God comes to them at last face to face. Okay, that's the first verse. What it means, we'll discuss. Then Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا مُبَشِّرِينَ وَمُنْذِرِينَ That we do not send messengers except as bearers of glad tidings and as forewarners. But those who disbelieve obstinately argue uh, with a logic of falsehood by which they seek to refute the truth. Thus, they take my revealed signs and whatever divine punishment of which they are forewarned as a mockery. Okay, so that's the second verse. Then Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ ذُكِّرَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ فَأَعْرَضَ عَنْهَا وَنَسِيَ مَا قَدَّمَتْ يَدَاهِ That who does a greater wrong than the one who is made mindful of the truth by the verses of his Lord, but who then turns away from them, forgetting the sins that his own hands have advanced into the hereafter. Therefore, we have indeed placed sheets over their ill-inclined hearts that they may no longer understand this Qur'an, and in their ears in utter deafness. So though you call them to faith, O Prophet, by means of this heavenly guidance, still never shall they be guided, ever. وَرَبُّكَ الْغَفُورُ ذُو الرَّحْمَةِ 
yet your Lord is the all-forgiving, the possessor of mercy. For were he to seize them suddenly, in accordance with the sins that they have earned, he would certainly hasten on the torment for them. But rather, they have an appointed time for judgment, apart from which they will never find asylum. And so it was with all such communities that we destroyed when they did wrong, we set an appointed time for their destruction. Okay, so then these are the middle verses that I was talking about. So when we read them, we might have somewhat of a basic idea after reading through the translation, but it might still be a little bit blurry. It might still be a little bit fuzzy. So that's what we'll spend the next few moments doing. Inshallah, we'll see how far we get. The first thing is that we'll talk about some broader themes of what these ayat are talking about. So what we see over here is that um, the main theme, as many of us might have picked up by reading through these verses, is talking about denial. It's talking about disbelief. Right? So then now, Allah Ta'ala speaks in length in these maybe three, maybe these four or five verses that we discussed about how the people disbelieve. Right? So it kind of sums up to that. So now, what does this have to do with it? There are some scholars of the Qur'an, many scholars of the Qur'an, that say that every single verse in the Qur'an, in any surah, should be understood in the broader light of what the surah is talking about. So the surah itself has a certain theme. And oftentimes, the theme of that surah is stated in the first few verses. And any verse in the surah sort of ties back to that theme in some way or another. This is mentioned by Sheikh Abdul Rahman bin Hassan Habandak al-Maidani in Qa'id al-Tadabbur. So then he says that if you want to really understand how the Qur'an works and what the Qur'an is saying, then it's important to look through it and then take a moment to ponder and see what these verses are talking about and how they're related to the theme of the surah. And then he also mentioned that the theme of each surah is normally stated in the first few verses. So then in order to do that, let's take a step back and let's look at the very beginning of this surah. If anybody has a copy of the Qur'an, you're welcome to open it up. If you have um, a mushaf on your phone, a Qur'an app, then you're welcome to look at that as well. So let's look at the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf. One of the first few verses in here. Actually, so it's tied into a lot of them, but then unfortunately I don't know if we'll have time to go into every single angle. But we'll talk about one or two things. Allah Ta'ala says in verse number 6, that perhaps you're going to uh, drive yourself to the point of destruction. Allah Ta'ala is talking to the Prophet That perhaps you're going to drive yourself to the point of destruction, going after them. If they don't believe in this what you're preaching to them, if they don't believe in the Qur'an, they don't believe in hadith, they don't believe in the message of Islam, they don't believe in this speech, then perhaps you're going to drive yourself to the brink of destruction. Asafa, out of grief, out of sadness. So basically what this is saying is that the Prophet ﷺ would preach to people. And then some of them, like the Sahaba, they were responsive. Many of them were not responsive. And in fact, this surah is a Makki surah. So what that means is that this surah was revealed in the beginning years. And in that time, there are more people who are denying than people who are believing. 
The Prophet ﷺ only saw widespread success in terms of many people coming into Islam at the very end of his life. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجَةً That happened at the very end, when many people came to Islam. But before that, for many, many years, it was just a few people. Many people, there were probably more people that were denying, that were rejecting the message than people who were accepting. So now the Prophet ﷺ would preach. He would try to teach people. He would do his whatever he could. And then the Quran, the Prophet would preach through the Quran as well. And then the Quran has basically something for everybody. In the ayah right before this one, uh, let's go to it. The ayah right before the one that we started with. That Allah Ta'ala has basically put every sort of argument, every sort of discussion in the Qur'an for people. What does that mean? People come in all shapes and sizes. Some people are more attuned to logical argumentation. So if you explain something logically to them, then that's what really jives with them. That's what strikes a chord with them. Some people, you just need to mention about Jannah. You just mention about good things that will happen to them. And then, then they'll believe. Other people, if you mention the blessings, imtinan, if you mention blessings of Allah Ta'ala on someone else, on you, on me and you, then some people really connect with that. And they say, oh man, Allah Ta'ala has given us so many blessings, I should probably believe in Allah. I should probably show him gratitude for those blessings by believing in him. Right? So that's another type of person. Some people, they connect with stories. So the Quran is full of stories. Some people connect with examples. So the Qur'an is full of examples. So the word sarafa, those who are studying Arabic know sarf. Sarf means to turn, right? So when we study sarf and you study the different scales of verbs, you're turning a verb from one form to another form. Allah Ta'ala says we turn the Qur'an. In other words, sometimes we come at people from one angle. That jives with some people. Then we turn it. And then we come to people from another angle. But basically, every possible way that something could have been discussed, the Qur'an has done so. For every different type of person. Allah Ta'ala says, What else are they going to believe after this? If this isn't going to get them to believe, then what is going to make them believe? What else are they going to believe? Now, Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ So we've given every sort of guidance in the Qur'an, every sort of example we've already given in the Qur'an. So why don't people believe? Why is it that majority of people are still disbelieving? It's because people just, they have all sorts of excuses. People always come up with an excuse. They'll always find some way to deny what you're saying. Okay, anyway. So the prophets, we are, we're talking about the beginning of the surah. And as I said, every verse of a surah is connected to the broader theme of the surah. And the theme of each surah is stated, of course, throughout the surah, but also stated within the first few verses. So one of the first verses, saying that the Prophet would really, really preach. He would come to people from every single angle. And then so many people would still disbelieve in spite of that. So how do you think the Prophet ﷺ felt after all of that? 
Obviously, he felt sad. So it's saying that you're so sad. This denial of people is weighing so heavily on you that it seems like you're going to drive yourself to the brink of destruction just out of grief, out of sadness that these people are not accepting. Okay, so this is what the verse in the beginning states. That the Prophet ﷺ is overcome with grief over people's constant rejection and constant denial. Now, moving back to where we are right now. Verse number 55, I think. Now, these verses, we said one of the main themes over here is disbelief. Saying that, yeah, people are just going to disbelieve no matter what. So in that, there's actually consolation for the Prophet ﷺ. Saying, no, no, it's nothing to do with you. It's not that you've made any mistake or you're doing a bad job, it's not that. Rather, people are just going to disbelieve regardless. So one of the main themes of these verses is consolation for the Prophet And on top of that, when you know that you're not the only person who's doing something or suffering a certain thing, rather other people also share in your suffering, it makes it easier for you to digest. Right? So if the teacher says, Jimmy, you have detention, how is Jimmy going to feel? He's going to be sad and upset. He's going to be angry. What if the class tells Jimmy and all of his friends, they're all being bad and disruptive, the class gives Jimmy and his whole gang, sorry, the teacher, I'm sorry. The teacher is, uh, gives Jimmy and his whole gang detention. Now how is Jimmy going to feel? It's going to feel great. It's going to be a party. Right? Because in Arabic, there's a saying, Al-baliyatu idha ammat khafat that when there's a misfortune, a calamity, any source of distress that's shared by many people becomes easier to bear, becomes lighter, right? So now the Prophet ﷺ is overcome with grief over people's rejection of what he's saying, people's rejection of the message, right? So as if you're going to drive yourself to the point, the brink of destruction over this. Now, Allah Ta'ala is saying, don't worry, it's not you. It's not that you did anything bad. It's not that you, Na'udhu Billah, are doing a bad job in, or not a good job in conveying the message. Rather, people themselves are just obstinate. They're going to deny regardless. And in fact, it's not just you. Rather, this is what happened with all the prophets. Remember, we said, when something is shared by, a difficulty is shared by many, then it becomes easier to bear. So this is what happened with all the prophets. So the main theme that we just discussed right now is consolation for the Prophet So we said the thing that these ayat, the thing that the ayat speak about a lot is disbelief. But from another angle, we see that that's consolation. So that's one main theme for the for these ayat, consolation for the Prophet So let's look at these ayat now again in light of that theme that we just discovered, consolation. Now. Allah Ta'ala says, The only thing stop, there's two ways to understand this, so we'll discuss it in both ways. The only thing stopping from people, the only thing stopping people from believing when guidance comes to them, and the only thing that stops them from seeking forgiveness from their Lord. So now why are people not believing? What's stopping them? Over here it's saying it. The only thing that's stopping them is, now there's two ways to understand this, so we'll discuss both is the, um, the characteristic of rejection that they have. So now, sunnah means a way. Awwaleen means the earlier generations, the predecessors. So now, what it's saying is that 
Sunnat al-Awwalin, the same characteristic, the way of the predecessors, of the earlier generations, this has come upon these current people, your audience. So now what's stopping them from disbelieving? The same thing that stopped everyone else, which is obstinacy. Right? So the same characteristic, the same way, sunnah means way, the same way that characterized the earlier, the earlier people, which is obstinacy, rejection in the face of, I mean rejection regardless of arguments presented, just outright rejection, denial, that same characteristic, that's overcome these people, meaning your audience. Okay? So now there's two messages here. One is that, um, you know what, if the earlier people were rejecting, that means they were rejecting someone, and the ones that they must have been rejecting were the earlier prophets. Which means that, hey, you know what, you're not alone in this. Suffering this fate of you preaching day and night, people still rejecting, you're not alone. In fact, the other prophets also shared in this. And then it's not just that your people are like that. In fact, pretty much everyone was like that. So then now what you're experiencing is not unique in that sense. Rather, it's something that's come again and again. So if you understand that this is, number one, a fate that was suffered by many, not just you. Number two, it's a characteristic of the people. And number three, it's just a historical trend. That's what you'd expect anyway. Then it becomes easier to bear. So remember we said that this verse ties into one of the verses in the beginning. Perhaps if they don't believe, then you're going to drive yourself to the brink of destruction out of sadness, out of grief. Well, don't worry. It's not you. It's the people. Rather, and it's not just them. People are always like this, from one generation to another to another. So don't worry about it. So, it means the characteristic that, or the trait that characterized the earlier generations, which is obstinacy, that has also overcome these people, meaning the Arabs um, of the time. So that's basically what's stopping them from believing. Now, if we understand it this way, then what this means is that this will continue to... So how long will they disbelieve for? O over here means ila'an. So that means that they'll continue to disbelieve until the punishment descends upon them. Okay, the punishment descends upon them in many different forms. Qubula, that's one meaning of it. Another way that this is read in a different qira'ah is qibala which means that right in front of them. So how long will this outright denial, rejection, how long will that last for? Well, it'll last until the punishment descends upon them in many forms or the punishment comes right in front of their eyes. In other words, they're never going to believe. So don't fret over it. Don't be very sad and upset over it because, in fact, they're never going to believe. That doesn't mean that you, uh, you stop preaching. That doesn't mean that you don't, don't do your job. It just means that once you've already conveyed and done what you have to do, then, well, it's okay. You've done your job. Then now if the people are rejecting, it's not your fault. Don't be so sad over it, right? Because don't think that you're, you have any taqseer, uh, any deficiency in propagating the message. Okay, so this is one way to understand it. So what we said is, It's kind of translated like that over here too. Uh, this tafsir was um, advocated first, as far as I know, by Imam Muhammad Tahir ibn Ashur, 
who was um, a Tunisian scholar. He wrote one of the most influential, if not the most influential tafsir of the last century, which is called At-Tahrir with Tanweer. So he uh, proposed this explanation, which is kind of different from the way that most people have translated or most people understood this verse up till this point, up till that point, before that. He passed away in the 1970s, rahimahullah. Again, a Tunisian scholar. So anyway, the other way to understand it, and this is the way that most Mufassirin have understood it, is that The only thing preventing them from believing and from seeking forgiveness of their Lord is that they haven't yet seen the punishment. And then once they see the punishment, then they'll start believing at that point. Okay, in other words, so if we're to understand it in this way, and it, the difference is just subtle, it's not maybe a huge difference, um, but if we are to understand it in this way, then basically what it means, it's kind of like saying being sarcastic, saying that why is it that they haven't believed yet? Oh, because they haven't seen the punishment yet. Yeah, that's when they'll start believing. Okay, so the difference is subtle. Both explanations are kind of similar. All it's saying is that the first one is saying that the thing that, the thing that stops them from believing is the trait that characterized the earlier generations, which is rejection. Okay, so what's stopping them from, dis from believing? The only thing stopping them from believing is, I might have said disbelieving, that was a, um, just a slip of the tongue. The only thing stopping them from believing is the trait of obstinacy that characterized earlier generations. That's one reading of the ayah. The other reading of the ayah is that the only thing stopping them from believing is that they haven't yet seen the punishment. Okay, so the difference is subtle, but then just two different ways to understand it. Okay, and then remember we said that this ties into the theme of these verses, and that theme is consolation for the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Okay, so that's one verse. Next verse. That we do not send messengers except to give glad tidings and to give warnings. Right? So they tell people good things that if you believe you'll get Jannah, all that good stuff, you'll be rewarded. If you and then they also warn people, saying that if you disbelieve, then it's going to be bad because you will be punished. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. So now, in other words, this also ties into the theme that we discussed, which is consolation. Saying that what Allah Ta'ala mentions explicitly over here, Remember we talked about it implicitly in the first verse? Oh, I think I went the wrong way. We talked about it implicitly in the first verse. That, that the characteristic or the trait that characterized the earlier generations, which is rejection, obstinacy, denial. Well, obviously they're denying someone. And who is that someone? It's their prophet. So in other words, it's telling the prophet, you're not alone in suffering this fate. But now over here, it's explicit. Because now when you console somebody, um, we tend to mention things more than once. We say that, don't worry, it's fine. Everything is fine. Uh, nothing bad is gonna happen. You're okay, you didn't do anything wrong. I said like five, six statements right now, but they kind of boil down to the same thing, right? But this is how we console someone. So now Allah Ta'ala kind of says something similar over here, but just more explicitly. Remember we said that if people are rejecting, they're going to be rejecting someone who is the, the messenger? Well, yeah. Similarly, Allah Ta'ala over here, building on that concept, says the same thing, but just much more explicitly. 
Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا نُرْسِلُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا مُبَشِّرِينَ وَمُنْذِرِينَ That we send messengers to give glad tidings and to give warnings. Okay? To warn and to give good news. So over here, Allah Ta'ala explicitly mentions that, hey, you know what? There's other people who are also suffering the same difficulty that you're suffering, or who suffered the same difficulty that you're suffering. In other words, the other messengers. So the fact that you are a messenger means that this comes with the job, that people are going to reject what you're saying. So, um, so don't worry about it. In fact, you're not alone in it. Now Allah Ta'ala goes on to say, وَيُجَادِلُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِالْبَاطِلِ that those who disbelieve will always continue to argue, they'll advocate for falsehood. And they'll do that to sweep away the truth. They, over here it says to seek to refute the truth. Uh, and then they take my verses, my ayat, and my signs, and everything that they've been warned, they take it as a joke. Okay? So over here, Allah Ta'ala is saying that the other messengers also suffered the same difficulty that you're undergoing. And then, in fact, the people who disbelieve, they always argue. They always deny. So then, in other words, they denied with those other messengers, and they're also denying with you. Okay? So then this denial is something ongoing. Right? Is it that one... Allah Ta'ala says that it's so strange that every single nation, they have the same response to their messenger. Is it that one nation told the other nation that was going to come after them that here, this is what you need to do with your messenger? Did they give them advice? Did they leave them some bequest? No, it's just that they're all messed up. Okay, anyway. So Allah Ta'ala says the response of people is always going to be the same. Meaning that they're always going to be arguing against the truth and arguing for a falsehood. They're always going to be making a mockery of whatever they're being warned with. Okay, so again, this goes to the same theme of consolation. Telling the Prophet ﷺ, number one, you're not alone in this. In fact, all the other messengers, Mursalinin messengers, all the messengers have shared in the same difficulty. And then, in fact, the response to people has always been the same. It's just a historical trend that happens. And then, in fact, They've not only, not only are they going to reject, but they're going to take it a step further. They're going to mock what you've done. And then this is something that is not unique to you. Rather, this has happened in the past as well. Okay, so now this is building on the same theme of consolation. Uh, okay, going to the next verse. So what we're going to do is we're going through the verses, keeping this theme in mind. Then we're going to discuss another theme, and we're going to briefly go through the verses again. Not try to re-understand everything, but just sort of tie it into another theme. Okay, um, sorry, I keep on missing the verse. Okay. Then Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ ذُكِّرَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ فَأَعْرَضَ عَنْهَا وَنَسِيَ مَا قَدَّمَتْ يَدَاهِ Now, who could be worse than the person who is reminded of my verses, of the verses of his Lord? Then he turns away from it, and then he forgets his own misdeeds. Allah Ta'ala says, That indeed we have placed veils over their hearts. So they won't be able to understand the truth when it's uh, preached to them, when it's propagated to them. 
And we've placed deafness, or we've played heavy things in their ears. In other words, we've stopped them from hearing the truth. If you try to call them to truth, to guidance, they'll never believe. Okay, so in this, Allah Ta'ala is saying to the Prophet again, tying into the theme of consolation, that you know what, it's not your fault. In fact, the people themselves are messed up. And they're never going to believe. Okay, Allah Ta'ala over here is stating that they're never going to believe. So now the Prophet is hoping for them to believe. He's doing his job of preaching to them. But then they're outright rejecting what he's saying. Not once, not twice, but again and again and again. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, you know what? If you know that they're not going to believe, then it's something that kind of lessens the burden. It's not that you'll stop preaching, but it's just that when they continue to reject you, then you don't feel bad about it because you knew what the outcome was going to be. You knew that they were not going to believe, so then it doesn't weigh as heavily on you an anymore because the problem is not with you, the problem is with them. Okay? Allah Ta'ala, in fact, in a show of greater consolation, takes it upon himself to say that, in fact, I'm the one who placed um, veils over their hearts. I'm the one who's done this. It's nothing to do with you. Inna ja'alna. Ja'alna means we placed. The royal plural. In other words, Allah Ta'ala is saying that I placed veils over their hearts. They won't be able to understand the truth when it's propagated to them. I've placed heaviness. I blocked out their ears. So they won't be able to hear you either. Obviously, it's metaphorical. It's not literal. But anyway, Allah Ta'ala is saying this. Don't worry, the problem is not with you. I'm the one who's stopping them from believing. Okay, so in other words, this goes back to our theme of consolation. Telling the Prophet wasallam that, you know what, it's not you. In fact, I'm the one who's stopping them from believing, and then they're the ones who are messed up. Okay, so no, in other words, as we said, it ties into our theme of consolation. But now this begs another question that will basically briefly step to this, um, uh, step away from our main discussion right now, and we'll discuss. Probably hearing this verse and hearing the brief explanation that we just talked about right now, you might think that, hey, how is it that Allah Ta'ala is stopping them from believing? How is it that Allah Ta'ala is placing a veil over their heart? Isn't that not fair? Shouldn't everybody have an equal opportunity to believe? Why is it that some people are stopped from believing? Why is it that some people have obstacles and others don't? That's not fair. So then this is a question that might have arisen in many of our minds. Right? So now, what we have to understand is that Allah Ta'ala is addressing it in this way, given the theme of the verses, which is, let's hear it from everyone. Consolation, okay, heard it from one person, but that's good enough. <laughs> okay, so based in line with the theme of consolation. Okay, so now it's not to say that, um, basically the, the questions that I just discussed right now that might have arisen in some of our minds. It's not to say that at all. Now, how is that? Let's discuss it. So now, in order to understand this, we need to take a step to the side into a kind of difficult discussion that I don't actually like to have, but the discussion of predestination. Okay? So now, the way that this works is that according to... Um, okay, we'll discuss it in... Um, I'll discuss the answer briefly right now, and then we'll discuss one or two concepts that, um, regarding the concept of predestination. So another, in brief, just to understand this right now, okay, this is the answer just in a nutshell. Allah Ta'ala knew that they were going to reject. Allah Ta'ala knew what the outcome was going to be. 
So now, knowing that that is their outcome, um, knowing that that was a choice that they were going to choose for themselves, that they were going to reject, because Allah Ta'ala knows the end of the story. Allah Ta'ala knows every turn that they're going to take in their life, right? So knowing that already, Allah Ta'ala is explaining or mentioning it in the form of saying that we've placed veils over their hearts. What does that mean? That means that Allah Ta'ala already knew what was going to happen. Allah Ta'ala knew that they were going to re reject the message. So are they rejecting the message because Allah Ta'ala placed a veil over their hearts or did they choose to reject themselves? Obviously they, choose, they chose to reject themselves. Now Allah Ta'ala is explaining that, Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that by saying that I placed a veil over their hearts. Okay, so again, in a nutshell, what this means, and I'll discuss it in a little bit more detail momentarily. What this means is that they chose to reject. Allah Ta'ala knew the choice that they would opt for. Allah Ta'ala knew the end of the story, so to speak, every choice that they would make in their lives. Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that by saying that we have placed a veil over their hearts. In other words, saying that they themselves are going to choose to reject. Okay, in a nutshell, in other words, Allah Ta'ala is talking about their own choice. Now, how does this work? So let's take a step back and let's understand predestination in just a little bit more detail. So the first thing is that sometimes we have a little bit of difficulty kind of reconciling this concept of predestination with the notion of free will. Because if things are, and this isn't something that's unique to us, this is something that people have wrestled with throughout generations. So now, if everything is predestined from before, then how is it that we have any free will? Why is it that I should just, I should be good? Why should I pray? Why should I give charity? Why should I be good to my parents, my neighbors? If it's already destined where I'm going to be, end up anyway. We ask Allah Ta'ala grant us Jannah and save us from Jahannam. But if it's already destined, then what's the point of doing anything? What's the point of any actions to period? So now, in order to understand predestination and reconciling this with the concept of the notion of free will, let's say that, let's take a step back before that. We'll say that we accept that Allah Ta'ala exists. We accept that He has attributes of perfection. What does that mean? Allah Ta'ala is perfect. Allah Ta'ala is complete in His power. Another attribute of perfection is knowledge. Allah Ta'ala is also perfect, complete in His attribute of knowledge, right? So now if we, and is this something that anybody who's struggling with this concept of predestination, if you ask them this, do you agree that Allah Ta'ala exists and that he has attributes? They'll say, yeah. And do you agree that one of those attributes is knowledge? They'll say, well, yeah. And then is Allah Ta'ala's knowledge, is well, any of the attributes of Allah Ta'ala, are they complete, are they perfect, or are they uh, deficient? Obviously, they're going to be complete. Allah Ta'ala is Allah. Of course they're complete. So now, based on that, then we'll ask, well, if Allah Ta'ala is complete in his knowledge, does that just mean knowledge of the past, present, or knowledge of the future as well? Well, obviously, kamal fil ilm, being complete in knowledge, perfect in knowledge, means that Allah Ta'ala is going to have knowledge of past, present, and future. Allah Ta'ala is going to know the future. And then we say that, okay, well, is that in general? Or is that for every single person? Well, again, we said that Allah Ta'ala is complete in his knowledge. So that means that future of every single individual. 
So that means that does Allah Ta'ala know what choices I'm going to choose and you're going to choose and Joe down the street is going to choose? Well, yeah, I guess. So then now, okay, now, does everyone understand this? Okay, good. So that's the first thing. That do we agree that Allah Ta'ala is complete in his knowledge? Yes. Does being perfect, kamal, in knowledge, does that mean knowledge of the future as well? Well, yeah. And is that just some general abstract concept or does that pertain to every single individual? Well, I guess it pertains, not just individuals, but everything. Does that pertain to everything? Well, yeah. Okay, so that's something that we've established. So then now the corollary to that, what results from that, is that we derive that that means Allah Ta'ala knows the choices that me and you are going to choose. Allah Ta'ala knows our life story. Okay, so now we also, so that's one concept. So let's embed that in our minds. And we'll use that as a point for further discussion um, right now. Now given that, what we've just established right now, we also know that Allah Ta'ala has given human beings free will. We know that through text, the Quran, Hadith, we also know that through just human experience. Do we have free will? Did all of us choose to get in the car, or get in the plane or whatever it was, or in, end up in this room today? Was anybody just programmed by, I don't know, some pre-existing program and then their legs carried them here without them knowing, without, or without them uh, consenting to it? No, all of us chose to do it, right? I mean, just human experience dictates that if you choose to eat lunch, you choose not to eat lunch. You choose to buy lunch or to just eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Whatever it is, those are all choices that we make. So does human experience also, also confirm the, the reality that we have free will? We act out of our own volition? Or are we just, I don't know, just like a marionette where there's a puppet and there's or somebody that's a puppet master and he's the puppet up and down. Human experience actually uh, speaks to the contrary, that we choose actions ourselves. That's human, uh, that's human experience. Now the Quran and Hadith, they also dictate this as well, right? Allah Ta'ala is going to see how you act. Allah Ta'ala is going to test to see which ones, which people have the best actions. So now, I mean, there's many other verses as well. So Allah Ta'ala says that he's going to see how we act. He's going to see what actions we choose. This is going to be a reward for what they did. Uh, I mean, basically, there's so many verses. Again and again and again, Allah Ta'ala speaks to the fact that action, that people have their own actions. Allah Ta'ala is going to see how their actions are. Are they good? Are they bad? Allah Ta'ala is going to reward people or punish people on the basis of their actions. So both human experience and also textual sources tell us that people have their own free will. So on one hand, we know that people have free will. That's something that's established. On the other hand, we establish that Allah Ta'ala has full knowledge of everything, which means also our futures, mine and yours, what actions we're going to choose. So now, how do we put this, so we have established both of these concepts. Now, how do we put this together with the notion of predestination? Well, obviously then, predestination means that Allah Ta'ala knows what me and you are going to do, right? And based on Allah Ta'ala already knowing that, that's what is determined. That's what's predetermined. 
Now, how is it that, um, like for example, not that anyone would do this, but then let's say somebody watches a movie, right? Maybe someone might have done so in childhood. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us from such things. Anyway, so then um, let's say that someone watches a movie and then someone watches it a second time. And then when I was, um, one of my younger relatives um, would watch Cinderella like every single day when he was four years old. So, um, so now the second time, the third time, the fourth time, does he already know what happens? Well, yeah. Okay, so now a person seeing a movie the second time, the third time, not, again, it's just an example, not that we do it, I'm not advocating to watch movies, anything like that. But then um, somebody seeing it the second time, the third time, does he know um, what's going to happen? Obviously, he does, right? You can still say, no, don't open that door. But then person will still open that door. Why? Because you know that he's going to do it, and he's choosing to act out of his own volition, right? He's choosing to open that door, right? So now, similarly, we establish that Allah Ta'ala has full knowledge. We've also established that human beings out, act out of free will. So now, putting those two things together, um, reconciling that with the concept of predestination, predestination is simply just the fact that Allah Ta'ala knows what we're going to do, and Allah Ta'ala dictated that, wrote that down, knowing, already knowing the end of the script knowing all the actions that we're going to do throughout our lives and knowing where that was going to ultimately lead us. That's what predestination is, right? So now some of the ulama mentioned that there's five levels of taqdeer, five levels of predestination. Mufti al-Talhaq mentions this in Badrul Layali. So in other words, the first one is simply, it's called taqdeer ilmi. Taqdeer is predestination. The first level of predestination is the fact that Allah Ta'ala knows everything. You might say, what does that have to do with predestination? Well, that's essentially what predestination is. Predestination is just that Allah Ta'ala knows everything that's going to happen, right? Because Allah Ta'ala has kamal fil ilm, right? So Allah Ta'ala has perfection in his attribute of knowledge, so that's predestination. The second level of predestination is called taqdeer lawhi. Lawh, as we know, means tablet. Lawhum mahfud is probably a term that we've all heard, the preserved tablet, right? Allah Ta'ala wrote 50,000 years, there's a hadith, um, Allah Ta'ala wrote 50,000 years before everything that, uh, before uh, he created everything, what was going to happen, okay, and what everybody was going to do. So that's the second type of taqdeer, which is taqdeer lawhi. Lawhi means the, the tablet, the inscribed tablet, lawhi mahfud. Right, now, did, now when Allah Ta'ala wrote that, Allah Ta'ala, um, did Allah Ta'ala just know it at that time? Remember, we said kamal fil ilm, perfection in the attribute of knowledge, means that Allah Ta'ala, well, obviously knows everything in the past, knows everything in the future, and that also means that Allah Ta'ala doesn't have any huduth in his knowledge. In other words, Allah Ta'ala doesn't find out anything, right? So I might hear from somebody that, I don't know, the capital of Illinois is Springfield, and somebody might say, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was Chicago, right? So then that's something new that a person might have learned. Now, does Allah Ta'ala ever learn anything new? No, because if you have perfection in your knowledge, then there's nothing more to learn, right? So now, taqdeer lawhi, as we said, 50,000 years before Allah Ta'ala created anything, or everything. Um, so, did Allah Ta'ala learn at that time? Did he only find out those things then? Or was it from before? Well, obviously, we said Allah Ta'ala has kamal fil and perfection in his attribute of knowledge. That means that Allah Ta'ala knew things before that too. 
So the first level of taqdeer, predestination, is called taqdeer ilmi. In other words, just the knowledge, the attribute of the knowledge of Allah. The second level of taqdeer is the fact that what Allah Ta'ala already knew in regards to what everybody is going to do, Allah Ta'ala wrote that down. Okay? And then the third level of taqdeer. So that's taqdeer lawhi. That's number two. Number three is taqdeer rahimi. Rahimi means that, rahim means womb. So there's a hadith of Abdullah ibn Sa'ud radiallahu anhu, inna ahadakum yujma'u qalquhu fi batni ummihi arba'ina yawman nutwatan. That a person is basically describing embryonic development, saying that a person uh, comes together in the womb of his mother, and then at some point, 100, after 120 days, three periods of 40 days, then an angel comes to him, and the angel dictates, uh, the angel dictates four things. The angel dictates four things. That, or the angel writes down or proclaims four things. The actions that the person is going to do. The, um, the lifespan of that person. What that person's sustenance is going to be. And is the person ultimately shaqi or sa'id? Are they going to end up in Jannah or Jahannam? We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us from Jahannam and make us, us from Ahlul Jannah. Angel is going to dictate those four things when, after a person is conceived, when 100, after 120 days pass in the womb of the mother, right? So during this uh, development of the, the baby. So now the angel proclaims those things. Is it that those things were just determined at that time? Obviously not, because we know that those things were written in Lohul Mahfud before, right? So that's one point. But then when they're written in Lohul Mahfud, then is it that they were determined or found out at that time? No, Allah Ta'ala already knows it from his ilm azali, his ilm which is pre-eternal. So then now, what's the point then for the angel to proclaim those things when me and you were in the womb? Obviously, it makes it more relevant to the person. Now, one thing is that there's just a general set of what everything is going to happen regarding every single person in that's ever going to come. That's kind of very general. But now, if I announce it for a particular individual, and at the time of the conception of each individual, then that makes it all the more relevant, right? So then if they announce that everyone drives safely when you go home because it's very slippery outside, and then I say, Faisal, for you, make sure you drive safely too. Now, why would I do that? Well, it just makes it more relevant for him. Was he not included in the first announcement? Obviously he was, because I said, everyone make sure you drive safely. But then when I said it to Faisal directly, then what does that mean? Just makes it more relevant for him. The third level of taqdeer is taqdeer rahimi. Okay, so taqdeer that is announced when a person is in the womb. Now keep in mind, this isn't anything new. Rather, this is just a reflection of what was in Lohul Mahfud, level two, which is a reflection of level one, which is the infinite, or sorry, the pre-eternal and post-eternal, eternal knowledge of Allah Ta'ala. Right? So then those are three levels of taqdeer. And then there's taqdeer sanawi, taqdeer yawmi, taqdeer that's announced at the beginning of every year. So it's not that anything new is determined at the beginning of the year. Rather, Allah Ta'ala just announces it. And then taqdeer that happens every single day. Right? Okay, so then those are five levels of taqdeer. So now based on that taqdeer discussion, that predestination discussion, now we come back to our original question. Free will, predestination, how do they work together? 
Well, simply predestination just means the ilm of Allah Ta'ala. So Allah Ta'ala knew what everybody was going to do. So Allah Ta'ala dictated that. Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا إِنْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ You don't will anything except that Allah Ta'ala wills it. What does that mean? Allah Ta'ala willing something is allowing it to occur. Right? So now, every time I will something, every time I desire to do something, وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا إِنْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ Every time me and you desire to do something, if I desire to pick up this bottle, oops, sorry, not, I'll drop it as well, but if I desire to pick up this bottle, Allah Ta'ala allowed me to do so, right? So that means that every time I desire something and then I do it, I intend on doing something and then I carry it out, Allah Ta'ala's desire is also there as well. Okay, so Allah Ta'ala's desire is allowing it to occur. So that's predestination for you, right? Allah Ta'ala knowing everything that's going to happen, then me and you making those decisions ourselves, Allah Ta'ala knowing the decisions that we're going to make. And then from before, and then me and you make those decisions. Allah Ta'ala allows those to occur. Allah Ta'ala allows those to occur. So that's predestination. Right? That's taqdeer. So now, given that long digression, let's go back to this. Um, in case anyone forgot, we're discussing the verses of Surah Al-Kahf right now, um, just in case. Anyway, so then, Indeed, we placed veils over their hearts to prevent them from understanding it. And we've deafened their ears. We've blocked out their ears. So what is that saying? In light of what we just, just discussed, remember we talked about this verse, then I gave the explanation in a nutshell, and I said then we'll just digress a little bit and we'll discuss it in more detail. Now coming back to this, what was that nutshell explanation? They chose to disbelieve. Allah Ta'ala is saying that he placed a veil on their hearts. I had said at that time that Allah Ta'ala just said it, Allah Ta'ala said it this way, to offer more consolation to the Prophet in light of the theme of these verses. But don't worry, it's not you. It's, I'm the one that placed a veil over their hearts. Right? Allah Ta'ala is offering consolation in that way to the Prophet saying, don't worry, I did it, not you. You have no deficiency in your propagation whatsoever. Right? But now, we had the question that, oh no, how could it be that then there's not equal opportunity for everyone to believe because some people are, uh, they're Ability to, ability to believe is blotted out by Allah Ta'ala. So now what's the response to that? The response to that is simply that, um, no, it's that they chose to disbelieve. They made those, they went for those actions themselves. Allah Ta'ala knew what they were gonna do. Allah Ta'ala knew their actions. Um, and then Allah Ta'ala allowed them to occur because what is that called? That's called free will, right? So now Allah Ta'ala expresses that concept in these words. By saying, We placed veils over their hearts and we've uh, uh, blotted out their ears and we prevented them from hearing. Um, yeah, because they chose to disbelieve. So hopefully that question is answered. If anyone has further questions, feel free to ask, inshallah, afterwards. Now, and now Allah Ta'ala says, They're never going to be guided, right? They're never going to believe. Okay. Now, after all of this, so then I'm going to sort of speed through the next first, uh, next verse or two. Then we'll talk about the other theme, and then this will be fast, don't worry. Uh, the next verse now. Okay. There we go. Okay. No, I think I missed it. Okay. That your Lord, oh no, not again. 
I think there might be maybe two people controlling it. Um, okay, yeah, I didn't do that. Okay, here, let me try to put it back. That your Lord is the most forgiving, full of mercy. So now after all of this, Allah Ta'ala speaks about how the people are rejecting, they're bad, it's, they, they'll never believe, they're taking my verses just as a joke. After all of that, Allah Ta'ala says that your Lord is full of mercy. Your Lord is the most forgiving. Right? Why is that? Every time Allah Ta'ala talks about those things, scary things, how people are not going to believe, how there's Jahannam, Allah Ta'ala follows it up by some mention of mercy, saying, you know what, if they decide to change, then Allah Ta'ala will accept them. Allah Ta'ala will fully accept them. Why? Because your Lord is most forgiving. Your Lord is full of mercy. Right? We, the first verse that we talked about, the first ayah, that the only thing stopping people from believing and from seeking forgiveness from their Lord. In this, Allah Ta'ala is trying to give, Allah Ta'ala is giving the people encouragement that you should seek forgiveness. Allah Ta'ala finishes this discussion by saying that, your Lord is most forgiving. So Allah Ta'ala starts and finishes this discussion of disbelief. Allah Ta'ala sandwiches it between mentions of mercy and mentions of forgiveness. Why? Just to say at the beginning that, you know what, okay, we're going to talk about disbelief and how they're outright rejecting, they're denying, they're obstinate, all that stuff, but you know, if they decide to seek forgiveness from Allah Ta'ala, then Allah Ta'ala is going to accept them fully. Allah Ta'ala is going to forgive them. And then Allah Ta'ala says the same thing over here. If Allah Ta'ala were to really take them to account for the stuff that they did, the adab, the punishment would come right now. The fact that Allah Ta'ala has not sent the punishment, that's a mercy from Allah. Allah Ta'ala is giving them another chance to turn a new leaf, to turn, um, to basically to change themselves, to change their course of action and belief. But if they choose not to, Allah Ta'ala has not sent the punishment right now. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala is giving them another chance. But if they choose to continue their disbelief, then Allah Ta'ala has um, basically left a punishment for them from which they'll find no escape. And then if you, that's not enough for you. Meaning that you think that, yeah, when is that ever going to happen? Just look around you. All these villages around you, not all, but there are many villages, many cities, many nations that came before you that were destroyed. Allah Ta'ala speaks about Ad, Thamud, the people of Nuh, Fir'aun. All those people were destroyed. So now Allah Ta'ala, just like that, you think Allah Ta'ala can't do, do that? That so many people before were destroyed and then you guys are not even, uh, you're not even a fraction of them. Meaning that they weren't able to st uh, stay away, they weren't able to escape by punishment, so neither will you be. So now, if you think that this is just a fairy tale, this is just theoretical, just look around you, and you'll see, right? History will speak for itself, right? Anyway, um, more recently, well, relatively speaking, there was Pompeii, and then that's something that all of us can see. You can find images online if you're interested, and then you see people, forms of people that are destroyed. There was an article that someone sent to me, maybe about a year or two ago, and then describing some woman who had um, taken something from Pompeii, um, like some artifact or something like that, because she wanted to basically to bring a piece of history with her. Then she said that ever since she brought it home, then there was misfortune 
that befell her. And then she got sick and people died and then just different things. This misfortune after misfortune after misfortune. And then this is not a Muslim person. She sent it back. And then now the people in Pompeii who are basically in charge of the site, they said that you're not the first person. In fact, there's many people who have done this. Many people have taken artifacts and then they've sent it back saying that there's just a negative aura associated with these things. And then I was amazed when I heard this because this is exactly what we hear in Hadith. This is a side discussion, so we won't go into it too much. But anyway, this is exactly what we hear in Hadith, that the Prophet ﷺ was telling the people when they were passing through the area of Thamud, saying that, uh, that only you should pass by in a state that you are sobbing, that you are very sad. Lest any of what befell them befalls you. Right? In other words, that there's a very negative energy that's associated with those places because those are places that the punishment of Allah Ta'ala has descended upon. So now, we don't want to have anything to do with them. Right? Taking a bath in the Dead Sea, we don't want to do it. Why? Because these are places where the punishment of Allah Ta'ala has descended. So, Lest some of that befall you. Some of that negative energy, maybe you won't be blown up by a volcano, but maybe there's some part of it. So that woman said that there's so much misfortune that befell her after that. And then the people in Pompeii who are in charge of the site, they said that actually this is what pretty much dozens and dozens of people have said. They've taken things without our knowledge, stolen them, and then they've sent it back saying that we've just had misfortune and bad luck after having these things, after taking these things. So we just take it back from us. We don't want to have anything to do with it. So if you don't believe it, you think that this is just a fairy tale, just look around you. There's other places that have been destroyed. That we set an appointed time for their destruction. Okay, so this is one theme that we talked about, how the broader theme, as we said, was consolation. Now, um, we're gonna, I'm going to try to end up pretty soon because I think we're approaching an hour now. So then I'll try to end up, uh, end a little bit soon, inshallah. Another theme of this is that Allah Ta'ala is saying in these verses, Allah Ta'ala speaks to different, um, okay, actually, let's talk about it this way. A few verses before, if I can navigate that far back, a few verses before, Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمَ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ كَانَ مِنَ الْجِنِّ فَفَسَقَ عَنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي so let me see if I can find it. Here we go. Allah Ta'ala briefly talks about the story of Adam and Iblis. Okay. Now, this is a story that we all know and that it's mentioned many times in the Quran. Now, that book that I mentioned in the beginning by Shaykh Abdurrahman bin Hassan Habannak al Maidani called Qa'id al Tadabbar, another point that he mentions is that whenever Allah Ta'ala repeats something in the Quran, it's not merely going to be for the sake of emphasis, but rather especially there's a story that's repeated again and again in the Qur'an, it's probably because there's some connection or some theme, some moral of that story that's connected to the surah at hand. So Allah Ta'ala is not merely repeating it for the sake of just repetition, but rather you have to look to see what the connection of that story is to this broader theme of the surah at hand that we're currently reading. So one of the themes, the story of Adam salam in Iblis is what motivated Iblis to reject the command of Allah Ta'ala? It was pride. Takabbur. It was arrogance. So now, uh, Iblis was characterized by arrogance. 
Adam alayhi salam is characterized by humility, tawadu. Right? Adam alayhi salam slipped up as well. Instead of justifying his mistake, Iblis said, Allah Ta'ala says, فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا Iblis." And now Allah Ta'ala says in other places, why are you not prostrating to what I created? And then Iblis says, justifies it. I'm better than him, right? So Iblis is giving a reason. So what motivated Iblis, shaitan, is the kabr, arrogance. Adam salam slipped up as well, right? Rahimullah with uh, Adam alayhi salam, with all due respect. Uh, there is something that Allah Ta'ala spoke about how Adam alayhi salam ended up eating from the tree, right? And that's something that Allah Ta'ala prohibited him from doing so. Instead of justifying the mistake, Adam alayhi salam said, Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna minal khasirin. That my Lord, we have wronged ourselves. If you don't forgive us, then indeed we'll be of the losers. So what characterized Adam was not justifying his mistake, but rather humility. Okay, so now another theme of these verses is the juxtaposition between humility and what that leads to and arrogance and what that leads to. And this is all in the backdrop of the verse that precedes the verses that we just read, which is this one, the verse about Adam and Iblis. So what characterized Iblis was the kabbal. What characterized these people, um, Adam Alaihissalam, was the uh, humility. So now that theme is the kabr and what it leads to. Okay, arrogance and what it leads to. So this is another theme. So Allah Taala says, okay, in light of that, let's look at these verses again. And this is briefly; we're not going to go through them in all the detail again. But Allah Taala says that iblis was motivated by the kabr. After talking about Iblis, Allah Ta'ala says, Are you going to take him and his offspring, his offspring, or in other words, people that follow him? Right? So Allah Ta'ala, now based on that, is saying that these people who reject you, they're following Iblis. And then they're motivated by takabr, they're motivated by arrogance as well. Allah Ta'ala is saying that whenever we, whenever people hear the Qur'an, they should listen with an open heart and an open mind. And then if they have arrogance, it's going to lead to obstinacy. It's going to lead to outright rejection. Now, keep in mind, we looked at this verse. One thing is that you don't understand something, and then you reject it because you don't understand it. Another thing is that you make fun of it. Now, making fun of it is not merely a product of not understanding. Making fun of it is a reflection of rejection. Sorry, it's a reflection of arrogance. Allah Ta'ala is saying that something that motivates this rejection is arrogance. So Allah Ta'ala is warning all of us that make sure that we stay away from this trait of arrogance. Because this trait of arrogance will lead people to rejection. Okay? Now, and now, how does that relate to us in our times? Well, it can relate to us in many ways. But then now, perhaps the most uh, obvious, um, and I'll just mention one or two points, then we'll close with that. The most obvious manifestation of that is today's day and age, um, dominant beliefs of our society today, right? So the dominant ideology is basically, it's characterized by kufr, 
whatever you want to call it, modernism, liberalism, secularism, whatever you want to call it or however you want to describe it, right? That's sort of the dominant belief or ideology of today's day and age, and it's only growing, right? So now, Allah Ta'ala is speaking to people like that. Keep in mind that Mufti Azim must have spoken about this many times, and I'm sure he'll continue to do so. That Surah Kahf is specifically recommended in order to save ourselves from the fitna of Dajjal. Is that something that everyone is familiar with? Yes. Okay, now why is that? When we read through Surah Kahf, there's so many things in there that talk about it, that allude to it. Now, um, one of those things is that perhaps one of the, I guess, most prime times for Dajjal to come is when people have very little trust in organized religion anymore. People have very little trust in these institutions of religion, of belief. Now Dajjal will find a very sort of fertile ground for his preaching then, right? Because everybody has already rejected Islam. People have rejected the notions of religion in general, right? And now how is that? So let's talk about this a little bit. So now, um, okay, let's go back. Yeah, here we go. So one belief that kind of motivates our broader society a lot in today's day and age is empiricism. That we believe in something, um, or sorry, it's only after uh, empirically verifying something, either by observation, by testing it in a lab, then we believe in it after that, okay? So Allah Ta'ala speaks to, one, the origin of the universe. Allah Ta'ala speaks to the origin of human beings, the origin of life on earth, in particular human beings, right? So now, how did the universe come about? How did human beings come? As you know, some scientists have said that people could not be intellectually fulfilled atheists until Darwin came along. Why? Because he provided an explanation for atheists to uh, say that if somebody believed in atheism prior to Charles Darwin, then there are some gaps. Okay, fine, but how did everything come about? Then he provided some explanation for that, right? Through the process of evolution by natural selection. So now what is happening over here is now Allah Ta'ala is saying that, okay, if your belief is largely motivated by empiricism, that you need to see something, test it, in order to verify it and believe it. Now this is the basis upon which people reject belief in God. How come, why should I believe in God? I can't see him. You can't test that. So now that, by and large, is why people might reject, I mean, amongst other reasons, but that might be one of the main reasons why people reject belief in God. Belief in Allah Ta'ala. Why? Because, well, you can't see it. You can't, I mean, you'll believe in other things because you can see them, verify them with Allah Ta'ala. person can't see Allah Ta'ala. So that's why they don't believe in it. Okay, Allah Ta'ala is saying that, okay, so if you're motivated by empiricism, if you believe in the concept of evolution and you say that that's an explanation for how human beings came about, when Allah Ta'ala just before this verse says how human beings actually came about, Allah Ta'ala created them. Allah Ta'ala says, okay, for empiricists out there, مَا أَشْهَدْتُهُمْ خَلْقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَا خَلْقَ أَنفُسِهِمْ None of them witnessed the creation of the heavens and earth. So how do they have an explanation for how the heavens and earth came about? وَلَا خَلْقَ أَنفُسِهِمْ now, did people witness how humanity came about? So anybody in history, any one of us, anyone from anyone who ever witnessed that? Obviously not. How can a person witness that? 
Um, so now, if you believe in something because you can see it, well, so Allah Ta'ala speaks to a dominant ideology in today's day and age, which is uh, what we just discussed, empiricism. And then beliefs that that might lead to, or beliefs that are associated with that, uh, as we just discussed. Now, moving on. Now, what is... So we talked about what might motivate somebody's uh, belief, or might motive, um, if somebody's belief might be motivated by empiricism. Right, then, and then how did, what's the origin of man? Maybe it's through evolution. Now, what about our moral code? What should that be? Well, obviously, if somebody believes in religion, then moral code is already provided through scripture. But if somebody doesn't believe in religion, then where does morality come from? Well, we just follow liberalism. Whatever liberal values dictate are good, then that's what's good, right? So now, as we know, oftentimes, or I mean, many times, it might be that there's some clash between Islamic values and liberal values, right? Are they always going to be in complete conformity? No. So somebody takes liberalism or secularism as their, I mean, even more so, as their dominant worldview, then what's going to happen is that they're simply not going to understand many concepts in Islam, right? And now in our society, we hear this again and again. And whether we hear these things being preached openly or just through osmosis, we kind of imbibe it within ourselves by living in this society, then what happens is that human, like Muslims here in the West and I guess many other places in the world as well because through um, imperialism, but at least Muslims here in the West will maybe see this more than anyone else. That by living in this society, as I said, through osmosis, we just kind of begin to see the world in this, from the same perspective, right? So now, then people come and ask about Islam saying that, oh, come on, how come this thing doesn't make sense and I don't understand this and how is this, how can we reconcile this with the notion of freedom for all and that sort of thing? Uh, um, aren't people free to love whomever they want or do whatever they want? Things like that. So now, um, what Allah Ta'ala is speaking about over here. Remember we said how the, uh, this surah is associated with protection from the jal, right? Because as I said, prime time for the jal to come is when people begin not only mocking, not only rejecting religion, but taking an arrogant stance towards religion through secularism or anything else, and then mocking it. So then Allah Ta'ala says, Those who disbelieve, they begin to argue for batil. They begin to argue falsehood. So in other words, people take false ideologies, wrong ideologies, and they advocate these things. They've been speaking about them so much. And then this is what happens in, our, in today's day and age, right? Alhamdulillah, you guys, I guess this is a, maybe a bad place to say it because, mashallah, we're just coming out of the winter intensive where we are speaking about, um, I guess, true ideologies and trying to push away false ideologies. But anyway, we're talking about in general. What do we hear about more? We hear about notions of freedom. We hear about liberalism, secularism, that sort of stuff. And then that kind of drowns out the true stuff that kind of drowns out morality that's informed by deen, that's informed by the Qur'an, that's informed by the sunnah, that's informed by scripture. So now that becomes drowned out by these notions of liberalism or secularism. So then Allah Ta'ala is saying exactly that. People began talking about these false things. And why did they do that? That drowns out. 
that puts out any discussion of good things, of haq. And then the result of that, or then what the other thing that they do is that this is in this leads to arrogance. And then not only do they reject our signs, but they begin to take and make a mockery of it as well. And then someone like that, you're not able to warn at all. Right? So somebody is against the concept of organized religion. Then no matter how much you try to talk to them, they just don't want to hear anything that you say. Right? So now Allah Ta'ala is speaking, we said that. The second theme of these verses, number one we said is consolation. Second theme that we talked about over here is that of um, arrogance and what that leads to. And now Allah Ta'ala is saying that arrogance will lead to these concepts of believing, taking secularism or liberalism as your dominant worldview and just rejecting everything else. And that's going to be basically uh, very fertile ground for the Jal to come. So now in these verses, Allah Ta'ala is warning us against that. That make sure we're not arrogant, we don't arrogantly adopt these beliefs of these ideologies that are in today's day and age, um, and then which will lead to rejection of everything else. So Allah Ta'ala is also warning us against these, these things. We'll stop with this. We ask that Allah Ta'ala accept us. We'll end with a quick dua. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين يا الله يا رحمن يا رحيم we ask that you guide us يا الله يا الله we ask that you give us deep understanding of the Quran يا الله يا الله we ask that you accept all of those who came from near and far يا الله those people who came to listen to your Qur'an being explained and your Qur'an being uh, discussed, Ya Allah, we ask that through the barakah of that, Ya Allah, any difficulties that they're going through in their lives, Ya Allah, that you remove those, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, indeed, that we know that when people seek knowledge, then there's so many blessings that you mentioned that the Prophet mentioned in hadith, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, those people that came from near and far, Ya Allah, for the winter intensive, from very far distances, those people that underwent difficulty, those people that came out today in the snow, Ya Allah, in the cold weather, Ya Allah, in the slippery weather, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, to, we ask that you grant them all the barakat that are associated with seekers of knowledge, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, through those barakat, Ya Allah, through those blessings, Ya Allah, we ask that you ease for them any difficulties that people might be undergoing, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, so, ya Allah we ask that you protect us from fitan of our day and age, Ya Allah. We ask that you give us deep understanding of the Qur'an, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask that you allow the Qur'an to motivate our every action in our lives, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask that you give us the ability to recite the Qur'an day and night, Ya Allah, and reflect over it. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakumullah khairan to everyone. Just a reminder to everyone, um, uh, please make sure that your mouth and nose, uh, noses are covered with your masks. And also, please uh, make sure that um, Inshallah, we abstain from handshakes and hugs and any form of physical contact. Jazakumullah uh, khairan.